0: And then boom ananias drops dead and that's scary man that's very scary that is super scary all right welcome to your church friends podcast i am chris i'm um, your the hey how have you been <laughs> good that wasn't the question i was expecting right no, it
1: <laughs> um no good how have you been good went to that conference that was fun right That was good. The North Coast Leadership
0: Conference, formerly known as Sticky Teams. Yes, formerly known as Sticky Teams. They like the whole Prince thing, formerly known as. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty fun though. I rolled a bull. Not a real one, the mechanical one. (laughs) Yeah, I got the guy to throw you off. Yeah, that hurt a little bit. I think I tore my hamstring. My dad just called me today. He's like, hey, I heard you were in the hospital. Like, you broke your butt bone or something? (laughs) Riding a bull? And I was like... See, this is how rumors happen. The story got way out of hand. No, it was a mechanical bull. So this is what happens when you post something on Facebook. Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. And the story gets back, trickles down to other people. I'm surprised I was really thinking that you were going to post a video of me. No, no, I didn't. I, I thought I'd <laughs> let you do that on your own. But then I remembered, yeah, you don't really post a lot of stuff. No, I don't. Yeah. Maybe. But for
1: anybody who's on our Facebook group, like I do read things that get put on there, and I will try to start being more proactive.
0: Yeah, or not doesn't matter. (laughs) One of the things I liked there, so they had a lot of amazing speakers at the conference. Chris Brown was on there, who was on the episode with us with Samson. Yeah. There's also Mark Clark. Mark Clark, who was with us for uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So we had two of our guests were there speaking. So it was cool to meet them in person and yeah. talk to them. We're really helping these up-and-comers coming on the yeah. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> these up-and-coming pastors who really need our help. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. Sorry, Mark. It was yeah. a joke. <laughs> I mean, we are the award-winning Your <laughs> Church Friends. So. Oh, we are. Yeah, we still are, but that <laughs> did go away. So yeah, we're helping. <laughs> we're helping we can really us.
1: make ourselves sound good.
0: We really could. But uh, then there was uh, Rebecca Lines. Yeah, Rebecca Lyons. Oh, she was good. She was fantastic. Um, Megan
1: Fate Marshall Marshman.
0: Marshman, really great story coming out of what everything she's experienced in the last year. Probably the one that hit me pretty good. I, I know you were talking about it earlier. Like, we've got all these leaders here, and they never really pray together, and she opened it up with prayer. Oh, yeah,
1: because whenever there's a conference, and you have all of these pastors, all these leaders, the people that you would think, like, these people are really seeking God, and you have maybe thousands of people sometimes gathered, it's like, isn't just as powerful of a thing for the country and for our churches is if all these people just prayed together. Like how, There's resources everywhere. We yeah. can turn on YouTube and get resources, but like to just the power of prayer. And she started with that. And she was even saying like, look, there's a work right now that only the Holy Spirit can do. And
0: we're just really going to give that room. And I was like, thank you. Somebody's doing it. Yeah, she got Baptocosto for everybody. Yeah. So she was really good. Uh, Ricky Jenkins started it off. I thought he was a phenomenal way to start it off with love on his discussion, and then Larry came in and hit some amazing points following him. But overall, just a, a wonderful conference. Uh, for me, the the thing I took out of it, above all the other stuff, Mark said that the gospel doesn't save us from dying, it keeps us safe from dying. And I really resonated with that, because I, if we look at everything that's happening, a lot of things is about safety and this fear of dying, and that's kind of where we're at in society right now, why things are kind of crazy. And when you look at the gospel, it doesn't ever say that we're going to be safe from that. It doesn't say we will be saved from dying, but it will keep us safe when we do die because we go with our Father. So I really like that perspective. I think it helps give a different view on why we do what we do as Christians. Yeah,
1: I like that. All of the speakers, um, I don't know. I think you need an all-access pass to to go and watch the things, but I'm sure that bits and pieces of it will come out. If you look up North Coast Leadership Conference 2021, it's worth even the snippets that you might find. I liked Larry Osborne. He... He's always really solid, and just over the years that I've been listening to him, uh, he's right on point in so many ways of just really having a finger to the pulse of the society that we live in and the culture and everything, and I think that he really just called it as far as, as a church, like, just realize what time we're in and live in that time. Yeah, we're kind of past the Christian age of things, but that we shouldn't be alarmed by that, but just... Take that and and run with it, and you know expect what to expect in it. I'm saying it way worse than he said it, like by <laughs> far. But that is not something to be scared of. You know what I mean? A lot of people are like, "Oh no, we need to go back and have all this stuff." Is or is it actually Chris Brown said it really succinctly when he said, "We're not entering into a new season or a season that's going to change back. We've entered into a new era." And I think that that really sums it up. And that we have things I don't picture them going back, and we we've. we've gone through a really big transition and I don't think that we need like oh man this is the worst thing ever like probably some bad things that came with it but God has us alive here for a
0: reason yeah I really like that from the one thing I picked up through the conference the single thread was that everything's okay still you know like don't get over worried don't let fear drive you don't let your anxieties take over nothing's changed other than some things but like God's still in control and that's the main thing and that's the thing that if we keep focused on then yeah, we can move through it. That's what Larry was saying. Is like, some people
1: preach as if they haven't read the end of the book and they're worried that we might not win this thing. Yeah, He's like, we need to be preaching from, I've read the end. Yeah, Yeah, for whatever it looks like right now, like we win. Mm -hmm. Might not be in our lifetime,
0: but we win. That was good stuff. Anyway, we could probably talk about the conference for the whole episode. (laughs) It was a full two days. So It was a full two days with a lot of amazing speakers, but we got villains to talk about. We do. We got some big villains. I like these villains. They actually weren't a part of our original idea when we were doing it. We kind of threw them in there uh, recently, but I really like the the two sets of villains we're gonna hit. We're gonna hit Ananias and Sapphira, and then Simon the Sorcerer. We're gonna to try to put them into one episode. We're gonna try because I don't know if it's gonna happen, but we'll try.
1: Yeah, we're gonna try like we tried with Doug. Yeah, <laughs>
0: we'll just get to the end. I'm like, all right, episode Part two, two. Let's go. Let's <laughs> do it. But what I like about these is these two villains is that when you when the church starts rolling after Jesus stands back up and the church is doing their thing. These are the villains that first interject themselves into the church. And these are the people who kind of, and and not to say Ananias and Sapphira are are like actual villains, but the mold is behind what they're doing, and we'll get into that as we break down the story. But that heart, this is the thing that started seeping into the church right away. And, and, And I really like that because it sets the stage for what we see still kind of hitting the church today. Yeah, and we'll get into it, but
1: I really see, especially in Ananias and Sapphira, so many of the things that we've already touched on with different villains and different stories kind of come in into to play, like even Satan coming in and like having his role in what's going on there. At first with them, especially like, are they villains? But I think that
0: as we dig into it, there's a lot more to this study than I first thought. So I'm glad. Yeah. How do you want to go about this? You want to talk about where they started Acts 1 through 4 or you just want to pick up on Acts 5? I'll do the shortest version of Acts 1 through 4
1: of just, Jesus leaves. The church is there in the upper room. The Holy Spirit comes down on them. Peter goes out. He's preaching. Thousands of people are coming into the church. And there's this cool thing that happens in the church that just the love and the oneness that's there. They start caring for one another in amazing ways. And the gospel just keeps going out. People are getting baptized. And we see that there's this love and this caring and just coming into, I believe it's Acts 4, right? You have the story of Barnabas just coming. And Barnabas, super generous. He has a field. He sells the field. He just gives the money to the church in order for that to be done um, with as they see fit, which is none of that was done under compulsion. People weren't selling their stuff because the church was like, get rid of all of your possessions and give us your money. But people were just, oh man, people are in need. Like, how do I care for these people? And, and they were doing that willingly. So it was kind of part of the trend that was going on in the church was, oh yeah, if I have something, I can use that something to help other people. Um, And you really have Barnabas also known as Joseph, Barnabas is kind of his nickname, the, the son of refreshment or of encouragement, set up in Acts 4, which is contrasting with what we have Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. Yeah,
0: I like that you brought that up because I feel like that part is a needed part of the story. Like you need what Barnabas did to see the other side of what Ananias and Sapphira did. Yeah. So I think it's important. And I was talking to Jonathan on the drive back from the conference. I wonder if there's a Bible that actually takes away the verses and the chapters. Yeah, and, and it's you just can get it like that. just like that because the read has to be completely different. I actually I've done that before to where I've just copied stuff
1: into a Word document and deleted it all because it it you is did a the different hard work. Re- read. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that there's just like Bible without chapter dot com or something. I don't know,
0: but uh, yeah, it's it's worth doing. If there's not, we should create it. Make a note. Make a note. No one take this if we don't do it before this well, podcast. We're gonna edit that. it before anybody finds. It. Oh, I was just gonna leave it in there. But uh, yeah, the no, I mean you're gonna get the note to ourselves before we give it to other people. Yeah, but if we don't do it beforehand, mm. someone listens. Somebody to it, help takes... us give yeah. us the credit. <laughs> if you do it, take yeah, you can footnote. Footnote. Create it on your church friends. They're just lazy, but it's important because when you see that the Barnabas. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyways. The the Barnabas part, part, you see that happens, and they, even the nickname, like everyone started calling him, oh, he's the uh, yeah, the son of encouragement, son of refreshment. Like you know, his name kind of got thrown out there, and I and I wonder going into this story if that had something to do with the motives of Ananias and Sapphira, is that if seeing that like maybe he was getting praise for an action, they wanted the same thing. So let me go through it and stop me whenever you want, and we could get into more of that. So. Chapter 5 starts off, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property, and with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and put the rest at the apostles' feet. So they were both in this together. They both had this plan. It wasn't like, you know, an Adam and Eve thing where we looked at the last few episodes where one by themselves and then the other one together, like this was something they, it seemed to me like they talked about. Which Doug had kind of brought up before as
1: well, right? Yeah. That it seemed like there was a bit of time that maybe they, Adam and Eve had talked about things as well. Again, we don't know. You're kind of looking at that. But I saw some parallels between that, that there was a couple there in the garden and there was the first couple. And then even here, Ananias and Sapphira are the first married couple in the church that we hear about. So here's like the new Eden, the new creation, so to speak. And here we have a couple. I'm not sure if you saw that parallel, but like, no. And here's temptation coming in with what happens. So no, I'm not Take the smart one. So no, I didn't see that at all. But that's
0: a really good, really good parallel that everyone else should look into.
1: <laughs> You're smart, Chris.
0: No, I'm not. But anyways, they decide to keep some of the money for themselves. They took it, and this is like the cool part of the the story to me. They took it to him, and then Peter's like basically rebukes Ananias. He brings it, he lays it at his feet, and Peter, uh, just knowing the Spirit talking to him, tells him, Ananias, how have you let Satan filled your heart? How have you let him do that? And yeah, I guess now the garden parallel makes sense. And then the cool part is that you lied to the, when he tells him that you lied to the Holy Spirit and that you haven't lied to me, but you've lied to God. So this is the thing, again, when we're talking about like heart issues, because I feel like that's a common thread that we're finding is people with heart issues. And then boom, Ananias drops dead. And Again, this is one of those stories where everyone's all like, no, the New Testament is love and there's no none of God's wrath and none of God's vengeance thing. And here again is like one of the first stories of chapter five in which someone lied to God. They lied to the Holy Spirit and just dropped dead. There was no explanation. Like he couldn't say, well, wait, wait but I, it was boom, he dropped dead. So then the great fear seized everybody. Some dudes came in who grabbed his body, wrapped it up and buried him and then it says three hours later, Sapphira came.
1: I'm just going to pause you. It can seem like a setup almost at that point. Like, yeah. oh, they didn't come with the money. And Peter's just like, hey, you lied to me. And all of a sudden he's dead and people are carrying out the body. <laughs> I've heard some people be like super suspicious about like, hold on, what's going on here? It was a completely normal thing back then to be able to bury the body on the day that it happened and just everything like this is normal culturally to what happened. Like, oh, dead body, what do we do with this? And you go And so just before anybody's you... thinking that like some mob business was going yeah, like on, was... Peter's sitting there at the table like, Ananias,
0: <laughs> is this the, all the money? <laughs> he's the godfather and it was a hit. Yeah. Like, how could you lie to the Holy Spirit? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm the first pope now. <laughs> it's. I'm glad you brought that up, though, because, yes, people could look at it like Peter killed him. Peter was probably as shocked as everyone else. It wasn't like Peter said, how could you lie to, to God and all this stuff? And then he was like, now, God, strike him dead. It was, how could you lie to God? Boom. Yeah. And so, yeah, I would assume, and I'm assuming, but I'm pretty sure Peter was just as shocked as anyone else.
1: Yeah, which I know that you're going to keep going with the story as we get to Sapphira, but I've heard it both ways. One is just like, oh, Peter was kind of something weird was going on there or on the other side that, oh, this was just an early story that happened to freak out the church. So then that way, nobody, you know, would lie to him about the money and whatnot. But, as digging into the scholarship and the different things, and even with some of the skeptical side of the scholarship, they do see that there's like some historical basis in the narrative that even for the skeptical people like, no, this really seems like an event that happened, obviously not a whole lot of detail about what it was, but it's not like a later made- up thing that was interjected into the story and whatnot. right, so yeah, Peter's the- there. He says, "Why did you lie? Ananias is taken
0: out back, and now we have Savira, his wife, three hours later. And probably coming to see where her husband is, I would think at this point, right? Like her husband left three hours ago to give all the money to Peter and hasn't come back. So she's like just roaming in. But again, that's an assumption. That's me kind of putting myself into the story of like why she would show up. But she shows up three hours later. She didn't know what happened to her husband. And Peter asked her the simple question of, is this the price you sold your land for? And she said, yes. And then Peter said, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? And then boom, she drops dead. The same dudes come back in. They drag her body out and bury her next to her husband. And then the whole church was filled with fear from the moment they heard this. Kind of going back to what you're saying, maybe it's just a story to scare people. But that's it. That's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They came in. This is where they're at. It's a very fascinating story, though, because what it sets up at the beginning of what's happening in the church. Yeah, and when we're looking at that at being the beginning of the church, and there's
1: so many different things come to mind with this. Really, a big thing that's happening here is hypocrisy, right? It's hypocrisy right there. And I think of Jesus when he says, like, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He says, a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. And, right, just things of that nature. And here we have the beginning of the church. It's in its infancy, and this is happening. And here you have hypocrisy, like, entering into the church. And God is just like, no. Mm-hmm. right he removes the leaven because if that had started to spread right and hypocrisy had started to spread and the greed and as you're even mentioning like oh they're looking at Barnabas and he got some maybe like praise and accolades and stuff and you know coming in and just appearing like you're only serving one master but you're really serving two right again we have this money thing coming into play that we saw with judas and here we have it going on here is just man Jesus warned a lot about money and that the did. love of money is a huge thing so there's so much coming into culminate in just in this interaction but like you were saying it's it's hard for me to read honestly because it does seem like oh quote unquote old testament god with his wrath like Mm -hmm. here it is like that's not a loving thing to do yeah depending on your perspective it might not seem loving but
0: depending on your perspective as you look at god throughout the bible there is a rooting out of things that can't be a part of israel so when we look at God of the Old Testament, quote-unquote... which Sorry, he's still the God of the yeah, New Testament. Same, he is the guy. father that Jesus talks about. <laughs> he's the same dude. But when we talk about the God of the Old Testament, and you're talking about, or the events that occur in the Old Testament, and you're talking about what God did take out this nation, because if you don't take out this nation, then your children are going to intermarry with them, and then you're going to bring in their customs and what they believe in their gods, and then your children will start serving them. It's trying to remove, like you said, that leaven, that thing that's going to cause you from no longer being pure or only desiring me or only seeking me, but it's to wipe it out and to eliminate it. And then as it moves in, Jesus almost says the same thing, like you, or he does say the same thing. You've got to eliminate those things that are in your heart. He now takes it out of the people around you, and says it's the heart. And I'm glad you brought up that this isn't a story about money. This isn't a story about finances or or wealth or anything like that. This is a story about the heart and where these people's heart were. And it is hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy at its finest that we would rather want the image of Christianity without the reality of being a Christian. That we would want that image, looking at what Barnabas did. To have the image of fullness when it's not really full. Yeah. The, the image of generosity or being generous when you don't really care about generosity, you know? The, the thing that Jesus checked about the, what was it, the, the Pharisee or the person who was giving out of his wealth and then the woman who just gave the two coins, like he checked that saying she gave more. It wasn't about the quantity. It was about where your heart was at when all of it said and done. And this is where this is at. And to get the people, the early church to say, you can't come in here and pretend you're a Christian or a follower of Jesus, because they weren't Christians then. You can't come into the church, into the body, and pretend to be part of the body. You have to be part of the body, because if not, then like things that come into the body that aren't there, it will be removed.
1: Yeah, and what we're seeing here is that God knows, right? You can pretend with people, and you can pretend with yourself, but it was clearly an act of God right here. And just when we have what Peter was saying to him, though, is, Why did you do this thing? When you sold it, it was yours. You didn't have to lie. You could have kept it, right? But you came to lie that it was everything. And again, coming into the speculation, just putting yourself into the story, I don't think that we need to paint them in a fully negative light as far as like, oh man, they were always intending to do this. Like if they had land, honestly, to have land in those days, even like to have land today, like that's a good investment to have so they're pretty well off and everything and they're like no we'll sell this thing right and tend to sell it maybe you're sitting there and going oh we just got rid of our land and here's all of these silver coins and you know maybe it would be a good thing for us to hold like who knows what those conversations are but obviously what we have from peter is that satan entered in right the deceiver the liar the
0: adversary entered into to just do something there. uh, That brings up a good point, though. I'm glad, again, that you said this, because now thinking about that, right, why have you allowed Satan into your heart? And when we looked at what the serpent is, and we're going to look at Satan in two more areas of the Bible through this villain season, we're going to look at him as the dragon, and then we're going to also look at him himself. His main job, it always just seems to bring doubt, right? So how have you let Satan into your heart? And when you're talking about maybe they looked at the money and they looked at their land and thought, oh, no, we just lost a financial thing here we need to save some for ourselves that's kind of the doubt that seeps in that god can't take care of them if they give generously to him right and jesus is teaching hey in luke he specifically says
1: go and sell all your stuff and don't worry about it because god takes care of the birds in the air and like all that stuff so again, jesus is teaching and then they see what's happening in the church and no pressures whatever of, no, we'll just tell them that it's everything. Mm-hmm. But when Satan entering in, we saw that with Judas, right? Yeah. There was at the point that Satan entered in and then he went and did the wicked thing. And you have, like, up until you do the thing, there's the spiritual war going on. But when Satan enters in and even it brings to mind Cain, right? That the enemy sits and prowls around seeking to devour. And then he goes and kills his brother. So definitely we see that
0: while these are villains there is that ultimate villain behind them. The, the ultimate driving force of what's really the motive and I think it's important for us to look at it because as we get through more of this series, we're going to see that, that there is this ultimate force behind everything. But if we allow that ultimate force to even drive ourselves, we become the villain in the story. And this, to me, I really do like the story a lot because of what it represents. Again, kind of going back to the theme of this was the beginnings of the church. Mm -hmm. and having this fear that seized everybody not to say that god was trying to scare everybody for this to happen or that he needed to scare them but it was to not to be afraid of god because of judgment but to fear god of who he is that he knew their hearts he knew their minds peter was like you could have just brought me what you wanted you could have gave me two pennies of this because it wasn't compulsory
1: it wasn't like a communist nation where the government's coming down give us everything we control it was fully which some of the cultures back then there was the pythagoreans there was a compulsory thing to like know you give everything in even the dead sea scroll community there's like a you give everything in but that's where the early church was different it was out of love Mm -hmm. so what was supposed to be out of love became something hypocritical and deceiving and just all of these things that it wasn't meant to be which to my mind i might look at like why was it such a big deal and even in my mind i go well Couldn't they have just been taught a lesson? And why couldn't these two get restored? And we can look at like, these two are so important. These two are so important. was like, sometimes for the good of the group, something like this happens, right? And that's Mm -hmm. a hard thing to swallow because we want to be able to have it both ways. Yeah. God needs to be a righteous God who takes care of wickedness and evilness and whatever. And then here's something that's wicked and evil and go, well, that wasn't that wicked. That wasn't that evil. God shouldn't have taken care of it. It's like,
0: well, come on. It's that scale game. Yeah. It's the scale of this isn't as bad as that is. This isn't as bad as this other thing. Why did judgment have to fall on them so harshly? But also if God is righteous and just, then his righteousness and justice was there in that moment. And yeah, I, I just keep thinking, and, and then we could go to the break, but if you, unless you got one more thing to I say. so many more
1: things to say, Chris. Oh,
0: well, then you, you get them all out <laughs> on the other half of the break, and then we'll get into Simon the Sorcerer also. But the one thing I have left is just the idea of when we look at the story to check ourselves, a lot of times we want to look like a great Christian when our private life is a mess. And the hypocrisy behind this is that, you know, the who knows to say what Ananias and Sapphira's walk with God was before this. But we can a lot of times want the accolades. We could want the attention. We could do things with the wrong motive and the wrong heart. And God's here checking it consistently. And if our life is a mess, then yes, we're always doing things with the wrong heart. We're always doing things with the wrong motives. You know, this is something personally that I always check myself with because why am I doing this? Why are we doing this podcast? Is it so that we could be Joe Rogan and have millions of listeners listening to our voice and our voice is the voice of the Christian generation? Or is it just because I want to build little kingdoms for Chris and have people being like, oh, Chris is the guy and he says everything. Chris and Murdoch, they're they're the guys who know how to lead things. You know You know what I'm saying? Like that it's my voice leading instead of God's. And when I do things with the wrong motives, then God's always here to check me. Now, I'm grateful. And I think a perspective we need to take from this is that we should all be grateful that when we are hypocrites and we are doing things with the wrong motives, God is patient and just with us that he hasn't dropped that judgment on us. But I also think of Samson and I think of what Chris Brown said when he was talking about Samson. He did not know that the Spirit left him. Mm-hmm. That we could think that we're doing things and we're doing things and everything's rolling fine because, yeah, there's no judgment. I haven't dropped dead yet. But, and this is, a, this is a hard question, right? Because if the Spirit, once the Spirit comes in, the Spirit's in. is kind of a thing that gets said, but has the Spirit left us in a sense? You know what I'm saying? Well,
1: I mean, Paul says, test yourself to
0: see that you're in the faith. Yeah. So that's kind of the last thing I want to throw in there with them, because I just think it's important that we need to check our hearts. We need to watch why we're doing and what we're doing. And if it's not for God's glory, don't do it. Even if it's a good thing, if it's not for the glory of God, don't do it. Yeah. Now go ahead. You could do all your other stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm wanting to respond to your stuff and not just ramble off. Right,
0: respond to me and then yeah, go into the break. Yeah, what
1: you are saying, kind of towards the beginning of that part that you were saying, you said... You know, we can't judge where they were at before this happened. And it makes me think, again, of Adam and Eve, because before they fell, they were perfect, literally. So where somebody can be before temptation comes in, you know, we don't need to paint everybody with this completely evil in all ways, since everything's like they were perfect and fell through temptation, through, you know, Satan coming in. And... I can see that happening here. I have reason to believe that they were Christians like everybody else who had experienced the gospel with great joy and were taking part in the community. I have no reason not to believe that. But that's what makes it hurt so much when seeing that it wasn't just one person being hypocritical. It was two people coming in and when they deliberated in on that, because rather than the love in a... And the marriage, it should be there to where somebody's like, hey, I'm kind of feeling this way. And kind of the correction and the love like, oh, honey, sweetie, like we shouldn't do that. Or, you know, like that isn't a good thing. And being able to have instead, it was both of them coming into the deception together. So it's like, whereas, I mean, scripture talks about, hey, if you're by yourself, that's a sad and a pitiful thing because you can fall down and know there there's pick you up. But if there's two or there's three, it's better because somebody can help you and can stand back to back, all that stuff. And that's what a marriage should be. You know, to be able to defend each other against the evils in the world and to really have that unification. And what we see here is just like, man, the devil is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And we might look at it like, well, no, God killed him. I was like, no, the devil wants us dead. <laughs> like, He's going to lead us into evil and into wickedness. It's the same thing in the garden. Eat of the fruit and surely you will die. Here you have hypocrisy and lying and lying to God. They died, right? Sin comes. The wages of sin is death. So it's a really hardcore thing going on there. You are also bringing in part of it just about the fear coming in into the church. And it's a lot of times in Deuteronomy and the other early books. But basically saying, so you must purge the evil from from among you. Then the rest of the people will hear and be afraid and they will never again do anything so evil among you, right? And it is kind of that principle coming back out that don't let this evil be known among you. And there's some parallels to it to where when you have Paul maybe talking to, was it the Corinthian church that had the incest problem going on? Yes. Yeah. And he's basically bringing judgment on them saying, hey, you know what? This shouldn't be known among you. Cast them out. Like this is not a good thing going on. This shouldn't be named among you. It's not even a thing that the pagans are doing. Like you guys, like this is not good. So really to purge the evil out is something that I think that in 2021 Western culture, we don't really have that, just even based on statistics of the same stuff that's happening outside the church, is happening inside of the church. When we're all sitting and saying, God, we want an axe to kind of a church, we want an axe kind of a church. It's like, really? When that offering plate comes around, you want to be dropped? Like, do we really (laughs) want... No, do we really want that? Because what it means is that level of purity, that level of devotion, get rid of the hypocrisy. And... We can judge ourselves by ourselves and make up all kinds of excuses, right? Well, we're all dirty. We're all this. We're all that. God is calling us to something better, something higher. And I don't think that he would call us to it if it was just a setup, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, live a better life, but you can't. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, I guess I'm stuck. Like, I really think it is something that God is calling us to a good life that we can live in a way that's, hey, if you're husband and wife, like, Protect each other. Love on each other. Don't let each other fall into the deceits of the enemy and stuff. If you're interacting with the church, show up fully. Your true sacrifice, your true offering is your life. Show up fully. Give fully of yourself, right? Don't do the hypocrisy thing of, oh, yeah, I'm showing up. I'm really here. But at home, I'm doing this and this and this and this and this. You have to go all in. Yeah. The power. (laughs) Sorry, I told you. Yeah. I have
0: one last thing and I'll just drop it, but go for it. The power of what the gospel brings us is the, this isn't me rooting for the Dodgers when they're winning and then booing them when they're losing type thing or not being a fan because they're losing. You know, you can't pick when you want to be a Christian or when you want to be that kind of my point. Like you can't, you know, with sports teams, you could pick when you're a fan and when you're not a fan. Mm -hmm. Like right now, I'm not a Patriot fan because they're losers. But when Tom Brady was there, I was a big Patriot fan because they were winners. But this Christianity, a relationship with God isn't that. Because we have God, and we're, He's always the winner. <laughs> he's always the winner, and we—it's an all-in thing, and I—and I think it's an all-in thing because He's all-in, and because He's all-in, the love of seeing Him be all-in for me should drive me to be all-in for Him, and I should love Him more than the things that I love of this world. That I start setting those aside and start putting them out of my life. And and again, we're not saying that you're going to be perfect and sinless because. Before recording this, trust me, I got angry and I was a sinner today. So that happened. But it's starting to to take those things and saying, how can I do it? Not less, but how can I just get, get this out permanently? And getting something out permanently sometimes is a process. Mm-hmm. A lot of times.
1: Some, sometimes it's God's miraculous that comes mm-hmm. in. like, oh, thank you. But other times it's like, hey, no,
0: discipline. So yeah, that, that you drop your last thing and then let's take that break.
1: Okay. So just really looking at it again, Ananias and Sapphira as villains, the love and the power of the spirit and everything that was going on there in the early church. And here we just come in and they were the first ones to bring sin into the church as far as what we have recorded, right? They were the ones to bring it in. And God just says no. And there's a parallel between the hidden deception going on here, especially when it comes like kind of holding on with money to Joshua 7. You know when they first went into the Promised Land and they go and have the battle at oh yeah, 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 I.E. or Ai mm-hmm. or however you want to say it, and then there's the sin of Achan or Achan or however you want to say mm-hmm. it, right? Joshua 7, go read it and you can d- read it in your own head. However. I've heard Achan, so yeah, yeah, we'll go with Achan. But they go to the battle, right? And mm-hmm. because he had kept some of the treasure and he had hidden it in his tent, they lose the battle, like, spectacularly. Mm-hmm. And it's because he had done what he wasn't supposed to do And it was the sin that was there. And really, it was the downfall of the whole Israelite camp. They all lost it. So I can see the parallel here that them holding back and the hypocrisy and the deception, that holding on to something. Again, they they could have just been honest and said, hey, we're going to keep some of this. But all of the deception, all the everything that was going on, doing what they shouldn't have done, and them being cut off before it was the downfall of the church. Yeah, because even Joshua 7.25, you have Joshua saying, why have you brought this trouble upon us? Today, the Lord will bring trouble upon you. And all Israel stoned him to death. So his his end was the same. It does seem pretty brutal, but I think that what we need to get in mind is that wickedness is more brutal than the actions of righteousness against wickedness. It's not like, oh, God is bad for doing that. It's like, no, they were behaving wickedly. And we we should seek to find ourselves not in that situation.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. All right, let's go to the break, yeah. and we'll be right back.
2: Hi, everybody, it's Remy. Do you know someone who is constantly lying? Do you struggle with knowing if people are telling the truth? Then let me tell you about this new app called the Holy Spirit Lie Detector. It's really simple. Just open the app when you think someone's about to lie to you, and the Holy Spirit Lie Detector will notify you if they are really telling the truth or lying. For example, if you get a notification that says Satan has filled their heart, they are lying to God or they are captive into sin. Then you know for sure you have been lied to. If they told the truth, the notification will say, Honest Barnabas. So what are you waiting for? Download the Holy Spirit Lie Detector wherever you purchase your apps on your smart devices and feel confident that the Holy Spirit has your back. Now back to the show.
1: Welcome back to the second half. We are continuing now. We will be a couple chapters over in Acts chapter 8. And man, this chapter starts off with, and Saul was there giving approval to Stephen's death, which sounds super crazy, but we're not going to get into it because Saul isn't who we're focusing on. We're going to be talking about Simon, and we get into his story in verse (laughs) 9. I just wanted to start with something. (laughs) (laughs) Something ominous? (laughs) Yeah, something ominous. But... Yeah, Saul would be interesting. Maybe we'll get into him at some point uh, in our series here. But Simon, for us in today's age in our church, we go, oh, Simon the sorcerer, Simon the magician, however your translation has it, we only kind of look at him here within this chapter. But man, if you were to go back to the early church, this man had a reputation. If you want to talk about a villain, a lot of the church for the first few hundred years looked at this guy as like, one of the evil amongst evils. I mean, the start of heresies and the start of all kinds
0: of stuff. Yeah, I read that. Wasn't he the start of the Gnostic or Gnosticism? Yeah,
1: there's like looking at Gnosticism, looking at heresies, looking as like a prototypical type of enemy to the early church. And again, that's kind of the church's view, which I think that we'll get into that. But I want to get into just what does the scripture actually give? Because I don't think that you necessarily get where they ended up just from the scriptures. So... Let's base ourselves here,
0: and then we'll have some of the. Other I think talks. you could get into a little bit of it, but yeah, I. I, I, I mean, we'll have the conversation. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. just mean
1: like some of it's definitely church history.
0: It's I not. like that you started off with the eight one though, because eight one sets up why Simon the sorcerer even comes into play for the Bible. Because the death of Stephen, like or Stephen, the death of Stephen, the death of Stephen, death of Stephen. is it Stephen? Yeah, I'm just <laughs> gonna go with that. <laughs> Stefan Stefanovich? Jack Stefanovich. <laughs> I should leave this part in. I think I'm going to. <laughs> the death of Steve. The death of the The Death of Steve. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is the horrible line to be laughing about. How did you
0: put that together that we're laughing at someone dying? Oh.
1: Yeah, like the first martyr, like, gee.
0: No, we're laughing at my speech problem. That's what we're laughing at. So when I get to heaven, Stephen, don't kick me in the face for this because... Yeah,
1: because the first martyrs, that's what he...
0: Yeah, that's what he would want to do. Anyways, so this, this made the disciples, once the persecution started, this made them spread out. And then it follows up, on that day, great persecution broke against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So that's an important part because what Jesus had given them the instruction was go spread the gospel start here and then go to these places but they were kind of all rolling in a high place at this point that they were just staying in jerusalem and this caused them to start that spread and we see that philip is the guy who actually goes out and he goes into samaria and as he's in there he's converting all these people but before so oh, well, he's converting people and he's also saying that philip in the power of the spirit he's
1: like with message and the signs that he was performing loud shrieks, unclean spirits coming out of people who were possessed, uh, paralyzed and lame were healed. So Philip's going in there in the power
0: of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. he's coming in there with full force of everything that God said. He was like both guns blazing and, and just tearing it up in there. And what's interesting, because it kind of does this part where it lets you know what Philip went in there to do. Then it goes into the story of Simon. And Simon's story starts off with who he was before for Philip coming in, and it talks about how Simon was doing all this magic or or uh, sorcery within Samaria before that, and that the people were amazed by him, and he boasted of something great, like he was boasting about he was a great one, and, and kind of going into that story where you're talking about they saw him as like this big villain, well, the people in Samaria said uh, that he had divine power known as the great power, mm-hmm. so he was in there like doing stuff. It's not like Simon wasn't like Chris Angels or something like that, who's doing all these magic tricks, like this guy was legit doing stuff that was putting people at all that they thought like, wow, he has the great power yeah when we look at magic and stuff in the scriptures,
1: like is it, it's not Chris Angel, it's not David Blaine. there was stuff going on even go back to Moses with the snake throwing it down the different miracle stuff there was the magicians there who were able to replicate some of it, yeah, and that's why there's the warning in the scripture for us not to do it. God wouldn't tell us to not do something that didn't do anything. There's definitely a lot to witchcraft and to different things like that, the wrong ways of interacting with the natural and
0: supernatural world. That's a different podcast. That's a different episode. But then it kind of combines. Now they, they give the backdrop of who he is, and then the scripture kind of combines four through eight with this story that Simon heard Philip, and he was one of the people who end up hearing him and followed Philip and got saved and was— or. I don't want to say he got saved, but he, he believed, he and, believed was and was baptized, and he got to that part. So all of a sudden, the gospel was going out into Samaria, into a place and a culture that actually the, the Israelites weren't happy about the Samaritans at this point. There was a lot that happened that when when all those kings started doing bad, and if you go back to read the First Kings and Second Kings, and they started doing bad, it was in Samaria that a lot of that took place. And then when they were exiled, the uh, Syrian king brought in all the other nations that he had exiled and thrown them, or, or some of the other people that he had exiled and threw them into Samaria to live and do all that, and they started mixing with all these other races. So it was almost like a an impurity in, in the eyes as the Samaritans started getting through it. That's why even the story of the Good Samaritan is such a huge thing because these were people that were looked down on, and here yeah, th- they were like cultural enemies. To yeah, the, to the to, to the, the, the Israelites. Jews, yeah. So now they're Philip is in there, and he's spreading the gospel, and Report gets back. Sorry, I don't
1: know if cultural enemies, that might be a little bit overstating,
0: but they weren't on good terms with each other. They did not like so each other. I was just other. trying to correct myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, when we're looking at a, a day and age when, when racism is probably high, not as high as it used to be, but still at a high peak end of a moment, and it's a very sensitive topic that most people will talk about, that... This is kind of Philip going in there and spreading the gospel to a a group of people that were looked down upon. And that's the beauty of what Christ brings, is that it breaks the barriers of race, tension, and all of that stuff. And it allows his word to go in there and unite people. That's another episode. I I was going to say, this sounds really good. What's
1: up with this villain? (laughs) I really wanted to just throw that in there.
0: But the villain steps in because Peter and John show up. They're hearing all the good things. They show up and they want to see what's happening and so when they show up they actually start praying for all the believers because up to that point they had only uh, believed and been baptized and they started laying hands on them and the holy spirit was just coming upon people like they would put their hands on them and the holy spirit's just falling on people and this is where our villain shows up cuz Simon the magician the great the man of the divine power the great power sees this and says I want that power and he tells Peter hey bro how much for that (laughs) yeah so you have him
1: following around philip right it says that he followed philip closely because he was astounded by the great signs and miracles so here you have a guy that this is kind of his trade you know he's like i do the signs and miracles like oh who's this guy he's legit right so he's following him closely he's like oh yeah i believe this message and he got baptized and like there's no reason again for maybe his framework of mind he's like yeah i can believe that but i'm still (laughs) the magician and then you have uh Peter and John coming in with an even like more intense power, right? Because those are signs and and wonders. But now there's the Holy Spirit coming down on people. Yeah, at that point he just goes, "Okay, how much? Yeah, I want that. Yeah,
0: how much do I got to pay you for for that bag of tricks?" And then Peter just tells him again. This is the beauty of the early part of Acts is just seeing Peter, this guy who always had his foot in his mouth with Jesus, always said the wrong things at the wrong time, betrayed him. Honestly, I'm. We like to pick on him. I think that he just said what all of us thought. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? The other 12 are just like, yeah, okay, what's Jesus going to say to Peter? Because I was thinking that Yeah. Too. That's why I relate with Peter sometimes. I'm like, oh, yeah, I probably would have been that guy who said the same thing and then had to get rebuked and be told, get behind me, Satan. But now Peter is coming with rebukes. Now Peter is, and he rebukes him, and he says, "This is may you perish with your money. So I'm just going to take some chunks out of the things he said, because he said a lot. But he said, may you perish with your money. That was the first thing. Your heart is not right. And then the last one is, I see you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And those three things alone make me think even the idea of when he was following Philip, because you were talking about it, right? He's seen this guy come in with a, a greater power. Being the magician, was he following him to like say like, hey, what's your tricks? What are what your tricks of your trade? Because of that statement, that last one, it just really hit me you're captive to sin. Like as much as you want, or maybe he really did want to. He's still stuck to that and is still holding him captive and is still keeping him prisoner. But he tells him this and then Simon says to Peter, pray for me so none of these things would happen to me. And then that's it. He says, this is what happens. This is verse 24, verse 25. Then Simon said, answered, pray to the Lord so that nothing you have said may happen to me. And when they testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages so that that's all we have of Simon in Scripture. And it leaves this kind of vague place of what happens. Yeah. So it seems like, OK, here's a guy. He's wanting
1: to do good. He's still struggling with his past. And what's interesting there is even as he comes he's like, hey, how much for this thing? We have a word in English called simony which is spelled Simon with a Y on the end. And the word literally means to try and buy like spiritual gifts and and that kind of thing. So coming from him trying to do it in English, we take his name and now it's the word for trying to do what he was trying to do. So man, he even made it into the dictionary. But as a villain, we can see there so much of what we keep talking about is where a person's heart is at and where their mind is at. And he wasn't seeing here the true power of God. He was hearing the gospel, but he was seeing how it could benefit him rather than submitting to Christ, right? Rather than the new life coming in, he was trying to keep his life and take, so to speak, the gifts and the benefits and the blessings from God in order to, as you said earlier, build up his own kingdom, right? He's like, oh, I can keep being Simon the Magician, Teach me how to do that thing. I'm going to be great. Again, I'm reading into it a little bit, but it kind of seems like that's where it's coming along. And even from Peter's response, he's saying, hey, you have no part or share in our ministry because your heart is not right before God. Peter himself is saying, your heart's not right. And when our heart's not right, it does
0: make us an enemy to God. I find interesting, too, that bitterness statement. I see you are full of bitterness and when i'm bitter because i'm trying to think of this like how do i how do i how do i put this all together to really understand simon and what this whole story means when i'm bitter it's usually because i'm angry at something i no longer have or i'm no longer a part of or i feel like i've been robbed of something and i wonder if that's where this is coming into play and i'm kind of putting myself into the story mm-hmm. so like if if this sounds totally wrong then it totally is, but it's for me to completely try to understand what the gospel and what Jesus is trying to present to me, what God is trying to tell me through his scripture in this man's life, is that bitterness is a scary thing. And it doesn't necessarily, I guess where that bitterness comes from is a scary thing. Because maybe this whole time he was just letting this eat more and more at him that he was no longer the man of great power. He was no longer known as the man of divine things and now he was just a follower of someone else Uh, I I could be reading into way too much of it but it it was just a little thing that hit my brain as you were talking
1: yeah and because there's not the full detail to be able to put yourself even as you were saying it I was thinking because when I was first thinking it was like maybe he was still trying to keep all of his old bag of tricks But maybe he actually gave those things up when you're saying like he lost it and now he's bitter because like I don't have that. And then he sees the guys coming into town with the power and he's like, oh, okay, Mm -hmm. I can still have that here. Let me pay you so I can reclaim that place here. And we're completely into it. But as a human being, if I was in that situation, I can
0: completely see that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which Peter even saying those words like I can see that you're full of it. (laughs) <laughs> not full of it <laughs> well, literally yeah he was full of it but just to, to say that yeah i can see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin that you are just you're locked into this thing it just speaks volumes to where he was at and i brought up the point during the break and you kind of have a different take on it well, i thought that i did but i was just reading it again and i don't so go for yeah. it Yeah, during the break we were talking about this the next thing is then simon says pray to the lord so none of the things that you have said will happen to me peter said
1: well, I guess his name is Simon. Simon yeah, Peter. Sorry, you said Simon said.
0: Yeah, Simon. Did
1: I say Peter? You said, oh, sorry. I'm on verse 24. Okay, in verse 22, you have Peter saying, pray to the Lord.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, then he, so Peter tells him, right? Yeah, 22, Peter tells him, pray to the Lord. And then you have verse 24 for, where, Simon, where saying, Simon says, no, you pray for me. And that's where I look at this and say he really didn't get it still. And he did not fully understand the power of God. He saw it as something he could use for himself. He saw it as a tool to get more fame and popularity, and he didn't fully get it because if he fully got it, if there was full repentance, he would have followed Peter's instructions and prayed so that none of this would have happened to him. But instead, he's just pawning it off to Peter. And you had brought up that like that was a thing that you know the apostles are there. You have them pray for them.
1: Yeah, it was a thing back then, and even now you can have it within churches and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But where you have the man of God praying on behalf of you. Uh, And you get that in different religions and different cults and different stuff to where there was the, oh, you have the power, go to God on behalf of me. You even have in the Old Testament, you had the Levites and the priests doing things on behalf of the people. The people were still interacting. So it wasn't completely outside of the norm. But where you brought in the point, verse 22, which is where I brought it back in, is that Peter is telling him, you repent of your wickedness
0: and pray to the Lord. And he doesn't follow through on that. So I was thinking of uh, Elisha and Naaman. Mm-hmm. and he tells him, go dip seven times in the Jordan, and Naaman walks away all mad, like the Jordan River is all gross and disgusting, and this and that, and then Naaman... And I said, came all the way down yeah, here, and this r- is what you're This me? is what you're telling me to do? Go, go dip my toe in, in uh, the riverbed or something like that? Like, it's gross. And his servant says, if he had told you to do all these great things, would you have done them? And he was like, yeah. And he's like, why not just do the simple things? And then he did, and he was healed. And, and it does take that step of us actually having to do the repenting. Because what would Peter have prayed for him for? God change his heart? Like Simon, the sorcerer, had to do the repenting part of it. That's the part he refused to do. He refused to repent fully of where he was at.
1: And that's where, I don't know, do you have anything else within this section? We can always refer back to it. Uh, We
0: can refer back to it, but yeah, I would like to get into some of the...
1: So when you're talking about that he didn't repent, right? We don't, it just cuts off. It just says, Peter and John testified and spoke the word of the Lord. They returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Right? What Mm -hmm. happened to Simon? Did he repent eventually? Did he? Like, what happened? Because he believed and was baptized at a point. But like, what happened? It's cut off. And to say that he didn't really repent, that's where church history and the early church fathers kind of picks up. You have people like Justin Martyr and Irenaeus and Hippolytus, even getting to Tertullian and Epiphanius. (laughs) and later on it wasn't really Clementine or Clementine but like pseudo Clementine literature but they all bring him up and coming from this point to where there was followers of Simon did you get into this? there was followers of Simon called Simonians and they had a full-on belief system going, and a lot of that got tied in with Gnosticism. And again, looking scholarly, like, was Simon a Gnostic? Did he just take advantage of it? Was it just the later teachings of him got involved in Gnosticism? But whatever that looks like, there was definitely a continuation from this man and his followers that went forward for a long time that was opposed to the church. We had these early church fathers writing against them frequently, And really looking at Simon as the progenitor of so much wickedness that he was an antichrist, that he was a heretical person. He brought in heresies. He was just like the source of so much against God and against the church to where in uh, some Protestant circles, we might not put so much weight to some of the early church father's writings and stuff. But... I personally with some of the stuff don't find reason not to believe them. And the fact that the Simonians it's a
0: it's an attested fact that they existed and this was going on. Yeah, it was not good. Yeah, one of my favorite stories from these outside stories of the Bible is the the like kind of the end of Simon. And it's this big epic battle between Simon and some people say it was just Peter battling him. But uh, others write that it was Peter and Paul coming together. So this
1: together. is from the Acts of Peter and Paul. Yeah, the acts yeah. Of Peter.
0: What I really enjoy about this story is that like they're in the forum, like there's, there's an audience, everyone's watching them. They're having like a magical battle. Yeah, basically it's like a <laughs> magical battle. Who could do this better? And like Simon's levitating, and Peter prays, and all of a sudden he just drops. And some say he broke his legs in three places that he never recovered from that. And some say he he fell and died. But I just always found it fascinating that story because here you have. The, the two guys who followed God right, Paul and Peter, battling this, this evil villain, you know? And when we were talking about it before the show, it, what it really reminded me, it was like seeing Captain America and Iron Man going to battle against like Thanos or something. And not to say that Simon even had any power that was stronger than theirs, but they, they were there. And, and some of the stories mentioned that Paul was the spiritual side of things, where Peter was doing things in the physical realm. But it's just a cool fascinating story again cuz in that praying
1: against the demons and mm-hmm. against the spiritual forces that were empowering Simon is yeah and were you bringing up Iron Man and Captain America because of a Civil War type reference? Because they didn't always see eye to eye? Yeah, it could be. Yeah. So I'm trying yeah, to pull in yeah, the no. little bit of pop culture no, I that just, I know. Yeah. Because there is a time when Peter and Paul kind of come against each yeah. other in that manner to where like, hey, we're both on the same team, but what's going on here? And But in this battle, they're coming together and joining forces. Yeah. <laughs> that's just, what I thought. It's a
0: really cool story. But again, it's, it's nothing from scripture. And what I can get from scripture... And what I can look at this as uh, I get ready to wrap up my end of this show, what I look at everything, I have to look at this and say what What is it telling me? Because a lot of times we could look at stories in the Bible and say like, "Well, we just read them," you know, we could just read them. But this is really, really kind of hitting the point of, "Are you truly giving up yourself for Christ?" Mm -hmm. And we have two great stories of people who didn't fully give in who didn't fully do a thing the crazy part about simon to me is he believed and he was baptized and that tells me i can believe and i could be baptized and still totally miss it and that's scary man that's very scary that is super scary because sit in church if you believe and you're baptized but you don't fully get it because you're not fully following. You're only playing the part of a Christian on Sunday, but you're going home Monday through Saturday and not, or even on Sunday you're not. You know, like, it's scary. I think you said it earlier.
1: Test yourself, see, if you're in the faith, even Jesus saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Like, mm-hmm. there needs to be something real there.
0: Yeah, and, and and I think that's kind of the point that I want to bring across. For these two villains, to me, what the villainy of them were, uh, was hypocrisy and... Really, the villainy was the wrong motive of the heart that they, they wanted something that was beyond what God was offering. And that is dangerous. Because what does God offer us? And, and we just sat in a conference where guys just nailed this and women nailed this left and right. What does God offer us? What is the power of the gospel? It's, it's the death and resurrection of Jesus that we have now a relationship with Him. We can be saved from all the things that we've done and are going to do and will do. And, we, forgiven of them. and forgiven of them, and we can move forward in a relationship with a God that's based off of love, not, not anything else, but love. And I can correct these things. I can transform. I can change who I am. But if I'm not changing, if I'm not doing anything differently, then has the power of the gospel really hit my life? Because this is what's going on. The power of the gospel is being preached in Acts, but eventually it didn't completely conform and change and take hold of Ananias and Sapphira. It didn't take hold of Simon's heart. And so it just leaves us with this scary question of has the power of the gospel conformed or changed your life completely?
1: But yeah, I'm with you on that, of just really looking at him, really submitting, really getting, really being transformed by it. And I don't think you said the word, but what you're you're saying really reminded me of the word identity, right? What he was finding his identity in before and who his person was and where his power was coming from and all that. When you get into these extra sources that they were talking about, his power was coming from the demons. And when you look at, here's the opportunity for power of the Holy Spirit to move in and our lives. there is a spiritual battle going on it's not just me as a human being in a vacuum that's not affected by anything that every choice that i make is of my own that not being influenced by anything like there is a spiritual world all around me all all times and we see this in a very distinct way with simon the magician where he was even at a point in his life where he was using those dark powers in some pretty great ways they were saying that he had the great power when you get into the other writings that basically he had set himself up when you get into the Gnosticism part that he was the first God and that he had um, this prostitute that he had rescued Helena and she was like mm-hmm. his first thought and his fully Gnostic teachings coming in. But he set him; he had deified himself and he had that going on going back to the Garden of Eden. Won't you be like God? So setting himself up as God using and again, Satan, the demon, the demonic powers powering that to what end? Simon didn't win in the end, whether you want to go to the acts of Peter and Paul and him losing that like magical battle, (laughs) but ultimately when he stands before Christ and he sees, Mm. oh, you're the king, you're the great power, I'm not. So yeah, within this short section of scripture, we don't really get the full villainous. We can see how the heart of a villain is kind of in there and he was struggling through it when we look at the history of things and really looking at, hey, what that heart turned into and his followers, right? Because if you're doing something like that and you have followers and they're taking your teachings and going off with it, there's proof within that even because we can see Jesus had followers. And look at the result of that, the kingdom of love and of light and of righteousness spreading across the earth, not of wickedness and everything else of
0: the Simonians. I got a complete thought finally on that captive thing. As you were talking, it really hit me because we don't look at scripture sometimes through the eyes of the audience or the timepiece it was written in. For this to make sense to the people reading it then, when they read, and captive to sin, they knew what captivity was. Mm-hmm. They went through captivity. They were in captivity. They were in captivity. When, you were in, when you're taken captive, because that's not a thing that really we talk about nowadays, but when you're taken captive, you are taken into the enemy's territory, you are a prisoner of the enemy, and you are bound by the enemy. So I guess they weren't fully captive at this point, but they were yeah. under rule. rule. Yeah. And we can become captive to sin that way, that it moves us into the enemy's territory. We are bound by the enemy, and we operate and kind of conform to that. And I, I look at this, this strict rebuke that Peter gave him as just that warning, uh, going along with everything that you're saying. Eventually, as you read all the other things and, and stuff, the history from that, you see what he became. He got all these followers because he was captive
1: and as you were saying we don't really get the captive thing here in america land of the free and all that stuff right but even on the magician side of things and where he was drawing those powers from and everything like that there's actually a resurgence of witchcraft and a lot of demonic stuff in this country right now that it's been coming along and it's just getting more and more on the forefront a lot of other countries will definitely know that in a much more real way But that the power of the gospel, whether you've been fully dealing with witchcraft and everything else and whatever kind of bloodletting sacrifices and just some weird stuff that goes on there. And if that's where somebody's at, just down to, as we would kind of judge it, like the quote unquote lesser sins of, you know, I lie, I steal, I cheat, Mm -hmm. I do the things. Is that the gospel is efficacious to come in and transform you, to free you from those things and to bring you into life as it's meant to be lived to give you an abundance of life, to restore you to sanity, to give you joy and peace and love and all of the fruit of the spirit, right? And that's what was available to Simon. That's what's available to all of us. And the dark forces can have, when you brought up captive, that's what's making me think of it, want to hold us captive. And it Mm -hmm. doesn't matter if it's lying. If the devil can keep you lying and just drag you down that road by your tongue, right? Like he will. But to get freedom from those things and to start speaking truth and love to people instead of lies to people. And I know we keep bringing it around to the parts of ourselves that we can see in the villain. I can see parts of me where it's like, no, I, I want to lift myself up as the great power. I want to use every resource available to me to get other people looking at me as though I was the great power. And those things not coming from God. Mm-hmm. I, I can and I have found myself in that situation rather than submitting to God and finding rest and just how much better his way is.
0: To not be a villain anymore is such a good thing. <laughs> right? I, I really love the beauty of this, this story. And again, we can hound on a character like Simon and say, like, look at this villain, and we'll get into this more as the season goes on. I was captive to sin. There are moments in my life where sin still captivates me and takes me prisoner. But fully getting the knowledge and understanding what the gospel gives me is that freedom. Like you were saying, I could walk out of it and I could be free from it. I just can't let it keep pulling me back in to captivate me and bring me into its prison. If you think you read this and you think like, oh, Simon's a horrible person. Look at him. That's you. So much in the scripture, like all of the horrible people, it is us. It's us. It's us. In every moment, we're horrible. We we do things that we shouldn't. Like you said, we think that like that guy's a drug addict or he's a, a murderer and he's way worse than I am. And I'm over here stuck lying at work. You know, we put these uh, caps on which sin is greater than the other and this and that. And Jesus is like, it's all wrong. And I came here and died for all of it. And I came here to give you freedom from all of it. Just because you're a liar doesn't mean you're any worse than that drug dealer or that drug addict. You're all in the same ship. You're all, uh, what is it that Paul says in Romans? We are all condemned. And I am here to free you from that condemnation and give you freedom. So I really did like these two stories. I'm glad that we we added them in there because in these small things, there's just so
1: much meat. Yeah, I was going to just have one last thing about Simon and relating to today. Simon came with great power. He had followers. It was convincing. All of the stuff, right? Are you actually following Jesus? Right? Because the apostles came with a message of the gospel, with the power of the Holy Spirit to baptize into that and to go in that way. And there are people with signs and wonders and a message and everything that can sound great and everything else might even sound Christian, right? Because that was a big thing with Gnosticism as they started tying in Christian type teachings and bringing it all together. We all need to be on guard that there are in the spiritual realm, and as that infiltrates the physical realm, who are we following? Mm -hmm. Are we truly following the king? Yeah, that was just my part on it, because Simon, you know, he he wanted to set himself up as he was an antichrist. He was a replacement to Christ. He was one set
0: himself up like that. He came in with his power. The disciples came in with God's power. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where you got to see the separation. Are you doing things on your own will? or Are you doing things through the power of God in you and through you and making sure, like I said, with Ananias and Sphera? that whatever we do, it's for God's glory. Mm -hmm. And if it's not for that, don't do it, because all you're doing is building your own kingdom. All right, let's uh, wrap this one up. I am Chris. I'm your We are your church friends. Thanks for listening.